Hello, welcome to Serial Casting, the podcast produced by Orthopaedic Research UK, collaborating with the Royal College of Podiatry. My name's Gavin Spence. I'm a children's orthopaedic surgeon. Most of my practice has been in London. Currently, I'm at King's College Hospital in Dubai. And in the spirit of collaboration, we have a fantastic panel on this podcast. Half are from orthopaedic surgery, half are from the world of podiatry. So I'm going to ask my panelists to introduce themselves. So uh, Nina, you're from the world of podiatry. Could you give us a brief introduction? Hi, so I'm Nina, Nina Davis. I'm a podiatrist and I work over in Yorkshire in Leeds. And I'm also a system development lead as well. So there to integrate care across the system to stop us working in silos quite as much. (laughs) We have James Welch also. So James, tell us where you work and tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm James. I work in Surrey. I split half my time between NHS and private, working in the field of paediatrics and musculoskeletal patients. I'm also the current vice chair of the Children's Podiatry Special Advisory Group and one of the deputy editors of our professional magazine, The Podiatrist. Great. So we have two paediatric specialists, and there is a third paediatric specialist joining me. This is my friend and colleague, Michaelis Kokonakis. Michaelis, tell us a little bit about your practice and where you work. Thanks so much, Gavin. Uh, I'm a consultant paediatric orthopedic surgeon. I work for the last eight years at the Avellina London Children's Hospital at Guy's and St. Thomas's. I'm a full-time caring young children up to the age of... 16, occasionally 17 or 18. And I'm really looking forward to identifying any pathways for collaboration with the world of podiatry. Exactly. Collaboration, I think, is what this is all about. And we're, we're very keen to do this. Pediatric practice is the theme of this podcast. And pediatric practice can be a very different world to what our adult colleagues get up to. Nina, I don't know if this is a familiar story to you. It feels being a paediatric specialist, it feels like you're, you know, like a population that has crossed a land bridge onto another continent and then the land bridge is gone. And when you meet that population back again, it's like you're, you're genetically completely different. We deal with different topics. We have different approaches. It's a really different world. At least it is in the world of orthopedic surgery. Is it the same in the world of podiatry? Oh, definitely. I'd say yeah, we get a very different bag within our, our clinical caseload. I think one of the things with children is that well, in comparison to adults, as uh, a lot of adults that we see, they've already got diagnosis. We know that, let's say, they have arthritis, they have certain long-term conditions, whereas uh, it's a new map for, for children. So sometimes they're coming to see you because they've never seen someone before, and it's like, well, what's going on? So it's, uh, it's new territory. You get lots of these new syndromes, conditions that would probably have never been seen in the adult population before, but we're, we're identifying them much sooner now. So, yeah, lots of different stuff. And then you treat them within your children's caseload or children and young people's caseload. And I think you also have that issue of uh, transition when you want to transfer people to the adult world. And (laughs) that bridge isn't always there, is it? But, yeah, it's very different, very rewarding, really enjoyable. We have to remember as well with it, though, that um, they're actually not little adults. They are children. And so they need to be addressed accordingly rather than taking your adult models and just scaling it down and remembering that obviously with the kids we treat generally they'll have been brought by someone but making sure we address the child rather than the adult in the room the the child is the patient and always being sort of fully aware of that it's very easy to drift off and start having the conversation with the parents or the carer or the guardian and forgetting well actually sat in front of you is this little person or not your young adult 
potentially your older teenagers and, and they're they're smart kids they 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 could understand these things so speak to them as well don't forget that they're the patient in front of you yeah Michaelis, it's interesting one of our physiotherapy collaborators who i've worked very closely with uh, over the years he has a great phrase he's got a very good way of dealing with situations that are common to all of us in pediatric practice where actually the child is normal but the problem is the mum and dad are really 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 concerned and he's very good at saying so excuse me one moment who's the patient in the room so James was saying you know the child is the patient and usually that is the case but if the child is actually normal sometimes it's the parent who is the patient at least that's one way to look at it I don't know if that's a scenario you see very often in your practice because you're quite specialized aren't you now in a teaching hospital you're very right, both both you, James, and, and, and Gavin. When I started working as a consultant, I used to do these uh, kind of general pediatric clinics where I used to see things like normal variants or I used to see very over-concerned parents. And that's, that's a big part of the pediatric practice, whatever that is, if you're a surgeon or a podiatrist. But I think also we shouldn't forget that there is also the, the other side which is, in my case, because I work in a very subspecialized hospital and because I see only the, uh, the very complex kind of cases, then these are the ones that everybody is really scared of, you know, and then I, I, when I say scared of, I'm not talking just about podiatrists and surgeons, it's everyone, the pediatric physiotherapist. These are the very horrible ones where you don't know, you know, what you should be doing, what is the right thing. And, and sometimes there's not a yes or a no answer uh, to this and these are kind of discussions and that's kind of the beauty in pediatric orthopedics this is one of the things that attract me to it that sometimes you don't have an answer you open the textbook and there's no answer there you we say we and we should do evidence-based practice and we go to the evidence and there's no evidence there and the question is what do you do and this is where collaboration makes a sense multidisciplinary approach makes sense and these are the kind of things that we want to promote not just by this podcast, but also with other educational venues that we want we want to do with podiatrists. We have done with physiotherapy so far, and then promote this multidisciplinary approach. We we can learn. We can learn mutually for, for all these things, how we can best approach these children, how we can educate the children and their parents. And then even if things go wrong, how can we deal with this? Because things will go wrong with these very complex cases. So the, the coin has two sides, isn't it? It's the kind of more normal, how do you deal with this, which we should not underestimate by no means. And then the other side of the coin, which is the very complex stuff. Nina, is this a a feature of your practice as well, that there is often a lot of controversy? There are no clear answers in the literature of where you should go. It's definitely a feature of our practice. Absolutely. There's uh, there's loads of grey areas. And uh, to be honest as well, there's not a lot of evidence base for the things that we do. And it has led us to be a little bit more uh, well, going down the lines of well, what matters to the person, trying to keep an activity focus, keep them participating and really trying to understand what is it that is causing that person or that child a concern. Because you do get a lot of worried parents, and I think it's really important that you try and get to the nub of, well, well what is, is driving this? Where, where are the values and where are the beliefs? Where, where do they lie? Because sometimes they'll say, well, they want to get to that solution. They, they want that end point. This doesn't look right. Please fix it. <laughs> There's a lot of things you can't fix. But if sometimes you, you take that time to explore, and I think that podiatrists are in that position to explore, it starts to uncover, well, well, what is it? So is it that they look different from the friends or is it that they want to keep them safe or is it that they're worried about long-term arthritis? And I think 
it's just about understanding it, listening, and then trying to guide the conversation to something that you feel that you can get a little bit more control of. Sometimes some of it is around those public health messages and trying to keep them as active as they can within the constraints of, of what that child can achieve, or, or trying to get them to see it as a, as a different perspective and, and really, well, what really does matter in this situation? Because I, I, th- I think sometimes, uh, perhaps it's the media, the way we explain things, the language we use, it does tend to lead parents, carers down certain tracks. We've perhaps created this environment ourselves. And I think it's important that we have those conversations that perhaps help steer people in a different direction and give them a different perspective. Yeah. I don't know if you feel any different, James. The language is so important. I know we've mentioned this before. If you think about it, when you have a, young, a very young child come in, you can put the fear of God into them by using the wrong terminology and the wrong phrases. And bearing in mind, for some of these kids, this might be their first time in a medical environment. So suddenly they're now associating bad stuff with this medical environment that you've now put into this child's head using the wrong sort of nocebic language, saying that things are bad, things are broken, out of alignment, any of these words, and that we're going to fix you, we're going to mend you, we're going to do X, Y and Z to sort you out. But also with the child, if they're very young, their reference points are are quite unique. Obviously, when we get young adults and and adults, obviously, they've had all the the experiences beforehand. So for their pain, go well, actually, I've played rugby for years. So therefore, I've had knocks and bumps. So I can relate to that. But if you're two or three years old, I might not have had this experience before. And actually, I don't like it. It might not be that it's pain. It might just be unusual or a a sensory thing that they don't understand but that still makes me cry because I don't like it yeah I mean when you you talk about some of those words and that language (laughs) makes me consider my own practice (laughs) I'm guilty of using all of those words yeah I've changed mine significantly over the last probably 10-15 years about the specific words that I use and I'm very careful about what I say nowadays this is so true the thing with us surgeons is that during medical school, James and Nina, nobody tells us this. I mean, I, I trained in Germany, Gavin trained in the UK. I don't think it was any different, Gavin, was it, in your case? Nobody tells you how to use the, the right terms. No. I mean, I think things are changing now from when you and I were training, but this is basically something that you learn on the job, isn't it? But we're on the job for a long time, and, and in that process, maybe we're doing more harm than we realise. It is so important. I learned quite a lot from the multidisciplinary clinics that I do with physiotherapists just because they have that approach. I don't know if they learn it during their training. You know, they're not as dry as we are. We certainly, if we want to be good at this and if we want to provide high standards of care to the pediatric population, you, that's, that's a very important one, to use the right language for the children but also for the parents. We, uh, the parents sometimes can be more scared than the actual children. The other side with that, Michaelis, I would just tack on the end is we can be giving treatment advice or diagnoses to patients. And we may have given that same diagnosis 10 times that week, whereas for that patient, that is the first time they're hearing that. So for them, it's a lot to take on board, whereas you go back through your career and you go, actually, I've given this diagnosis loads of times. It almost becomes flippant and you go, no, you need to catch yourself and go, I've given that diagnosis this morning and it should be delivered just as sincerely and accurately the next time you give it and the next time you give it. 
there's a lot of sense in that. In pediatric practice, we are often in it for the long term with these families. And where you set those foundations can be so important for the relationship that comes later. So we talked a bit about multidisciplinary practice. You know, that's something that we strive for. Nina, how does that work? Because podiatrists and surgeons have been working together in adult practice for some time now in the National Health Service, probably, you know, more than privately. How does that work in pediatric practice in the NHS? I think you've got your your key people that you go to within the world of paediatrics. Obviously, the uh, GPs are the main gatekeepers, but for a lot of the children on our caseload, they're managed by the paediatricians and the specialty doctors. And them knowing what we do as podiatrists, and that has been understood through sort of conversations, starting with training sessions, exchanging referrals. Sometimes it's a bit of clinical supervision. I don't know what to do in this case. Do you think you could help? We've sort of built a referral base, mainly through paediatricians. But then we also have a children's centre up at Leeds Teaching Hospital. And there we've got the rheumatology team that is quite closely linked with the endocrinology team. Uh, We have children's orthopaedics. We have a pain clinic that's also attached to rheumatology or very closely linked with it. And then sometimes there's that overlap with neuro and neuro works quite closely with orthopaedics. They've got children's therapy team, which is quite kind of quite helpful, where they've got physiotherapists, occupational therapists. And we, we kind of work symbiotically. We know that there's a lot of stuff where we overlap. You know, let's say exercise prescription, maybe one of them between us and an orthotist. Uh, there is overlap between, you know, the appliances that is provided. But we kind of find the best fit for that particular situation that we're managing. And sometimes it's on our own. Sometimes it's collaboratively. Um, I think a lot of them really are, you know, there's, there are those grey areas and sometimes people get a bit stuck. Sometimes you also have to be a bit careful uh, because you can end up at being a bit of a dumping ground. <laughs> so you kind of pass pillar to post and you've got to, you've got to think about, well, what's the experience for that, uh, that person receiving the care? But I think it is all about that right person, right time and trying to find the person that can try and do as much as they can in that appointment or that you know session rather than have to send them to lots of different places. So I think it is collaborative. We are at different sites. We send each other emails. We might catch up on the phone. And I think it works really well. It did all start by knocking on a lot of doors and forming those relationships, but we're there now, and, and I think it works well. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk about collaborating with a whole range of different specialties there and medical specialties. I don't think I had appreciated there were so many different medical specialties that you guys are involved with. Sometimes where I think these kind of teams are so helpful are in patients everybody's finding difficult to cope with. And you you mentioned about being a dumping ground. Michaelis, one of the things that I always try to avoid is this concept of what I call patient tennis, where people say, well, it's not my problem, it's your problem. And nobody wants to take ownership. It's so important that we talk to each other and we all pull together and we understand that there are all bits that we can bring to the party, but let's have a joint approach and decide, you know, what plan A is, what plan B is. And arranging that kind of team for me, that's the holy grail of multidisciplinary working. Absolutely, 100%. And there's so many things that we have at the Avenida London, very, very similar. The chronic pain clinic managed by kind of adolescent rheumatology therapists. Funny as it sounds, you know, working as a surgeon in a tertiary referral hospital, you are acting as a dumping ground sometimes because nobody else is brave enough to suggest the surgical treatment for a child that 
just has pain and doesn't get any better, no matter what kind of conservative treatment you've done with this. And and we discussed a bit about this before we started this podcast, but I just want to ask James, you know, how does it work in, in, in the world of podiatry? How clear are the referral pathways or the indications or the red flags for referral to the orthopedic surgeon when it comes to the uh, pediatric population? Your red flags, they're your obvious ones that you're going to pick up and pass your patients on where you think, right, well, this is in my remit of things to do and this is most definitely not. I think it depends on how your setup is. Like with yourself and with Nina, there's multidisciplinary working in those environments. With mine, it's been a lot of, as Nina did, a lot of knocking on doors and going, right, I'm going to go and spend time with this team and that team and see who's going to be appropriate. With mine, until a couple of years ago, I spent 10 years working in a physio department with the lead paediatric physio. So we would have patients who'd come in and they would see both of us at the same time. And then we'd talk it through. We'd have a brainstorm and say, is it necessary for orthopedics? Are rheumatology involved? Do we think it's a neuro problem? And we'd bounce ideas and theories off each other at that point, which worked so well. And it is it's looking at it from the podiatry perspective, from the, the physio perspective and the ortho perspective. That works fine if you happen to be co-located in the same hospital. And I think, you know, all of us are lucky like that. But of course, a lot of your colleagues are in single-handed practice. Let's say it's in private practice. They don't have that luxury. So how are they going to get that kind of multidisciplinary working? Is that something you can help them with? Do you do Zoom calls with them, for example? I have done. Even with things with the likes of Facebook and forums, people have come on and said, I've got a patient I'm concerned about, obviously, Everything's anonymized, but they'll say, right, okay, can someone help me? And I'll give my time or need or any of the, the specialists and say, look, let's do a Zoom call over it. Because one of the things, especially with podiatry, you can be very isolated in private practice. You can be a one-man band on your own, and you get that patient come in that day and you go, I don't know what's going on here. And there you need to have built up these links. Similar to your, your NHS work, you've got to reach out to the practices around you. Because we're not all specialists in everything, but you might find out actually the podiatrist down the road is, is a bit more specialist in rheumatological disorders. We've got colleagues who we know who are dead keen and great at dermatology stuff. I'll ring them up and I'll say, look, I've got this condition that's come up and I'm really not sure. What do you recommend? And the same back to me. And I know on regular occasions I've gone, look, if you want to chat about it, just bring all your information and we'll chat it through. And if I can't help you, I know a paediatric podiatrist in your area who I'll put you in touch with. And that has been through our special advisory group. We've been able to do that on a larger scale. So we've got Nina's up in Leeds. We've got people in Stafford, in Gloucestershire, all the way down into little old Surrey here. People across London and various people across the country. So that works really nicely to just allow people to chew over the case study and see see what's best for the patient. Is paediatrics becoming an increasingly popular subspecialty, Nina, would you say? Yes, and we've, we've pushed it really hard through the Children and Young People's Special Advisory Group. We have a Facebook page and we've got, what, 2.8 thousand followers? We've got a lot of people anyway. <laughs> and, and, yeah, we have a presence with our conference, etc. And I think gradually it's uh, it's building pace. I mean, 20% of our, our UK population's children and we know within primary care the most thing that people will go for is um, foot pain 
foot pain is really common in children when you look at the stats. And I think it's about three, four percent of GP consultations is around foot pain. So it's, it's really common. And I think just generally uh, podiatry is becoming more known. And when generations come through, so the, the adults, the, the adults bring the children to clinics. So I think it is certainly growing. Perhaps back in the day, 20 odd years ago, we might have just been our sole, sole time when we would have seen children was for Verrucas. But I do think that that has changed and people are starting to identify that oh, if you've got foot pain, I'll, I'll see a podiatrist. So, yeah, I think it's growing and it's great. Michaelis, we really need the help sometimes with these kind of cases, don't we, where non-operative treatment is required. Operations is our thing, but I don't want to give people the impression that means we're cutting happy. Quite the opposite, actually. You know, we spend a lot of time talking people out of operations, not because we're scared of them, but because they're simply not indicated. But then where we really need the help is for those cases that we can't help with surgery. We don't have many tools in the toolbox for that. No, we don't. And the way that it works in our world is that usually it's physiotherapist or it's the GP or the pediatrician who refers to physiotherapist. The physiotherapist will make the call and refer to us. Then if we decide for whatever reason that surgery is not indicated, because surgery is not the solution to the problem, not all the time anyway, and then this is where we really struggle because they've already seen the physiotherapist. Chronic pain clinic, as you say, Nina, you know, it's... There's a lot of children with pain that not necessarily surgery can, can make it better. And it seems like Croin Pain Clinic is kind of the easy way to go. But, you know, podiatrists can certainly, you know, may, maybe is the key for us to refer and provide those, those solutions. But I have to admit, I don't know a lot about podiatry and it's a shame. We should. Absolutely. Well, I mean, would it, would it help to know what's in our toolkit? <laughs> James, do you really want to talk about, James, do you want to talk about the What's toolkit? It? <laughs> We've got a big toolkit. I'll bring my tool chest in. You can have a look at all of it. <laughs> no, I mean, we've, we've got so many things that we can offer, and it's just it's making sure we tap in with the right people at the end of the day. Allowing people to come in and see what you do, I think, is key. But also making sure to let people know that we're out there. If you hide away and you don't go and speak to the GPs in your surgery, the physios in your department. In private practice, make sure you write back to your GP, send them letters so that they know that you're there because some people will not. But if you're making yourself your presence more felt and say, look, I've seen this kid, I've done X and Y, write back to your GP. You've done nail surgery, send it back. All of these things to make your presence more obvious to those who are around you, I think is, is the way. And Nina, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also take care of children after surgery. Is that right? Well, I suppose it would it help if we sort of give you a little bit of an overview of, of what podiatrists can do. And we have those skills and it's whether you want to make use of them, really. So podiatrists exist because the extremities uh, kind of get a, a bit of a beating mechanically. You know, we walk on them all the time, but they also experience strain from, from vascular disease. So one of our, our core things that we're good at is wound care. So typically we would see wound care that was created from peripheral arterial disease, but equally we can manage surgical wounds as well as so any type of wounds. We are also capable of uh, exercise prescription. So that could be anything from you know, your typical strengthening, stretching, obviously tailored, might be proprioceptive, plyometric. We make 
orthosis. So quite typically a podiatrist will have like a little grinder on site. So it's not just a case of just off the shelf. We can tailor them. And sometimes you need a little bit of tweaking to get things right. Sometimes it's padding, sometimes it's strapping, sometimes it might be making a digital orthosis out of silicon, right down to the the real basics of getting the footwear right. There's a lot of nuances around what good footwear is for a particular type of condition or foot type. We do nail surgery, so we're able to use local anaesthetics. We can use certain chemical preparations if, let's say, you've got your lesions like your verrucas. There's loads of things in our toolkit, so it kind of spans anything from surgical wound care to mechanics, and then there's the other things like dermatology. So there's lots of things that we can do. So if this crossover, if let, let's say someone's been for surgery and you would like to have a podiatrist there managing the surgical wounds, absolutely, we could do that. But equally, we could do the MSK side of things as well. I was going to say that the prehab side of it is one definitely which is which is useful. But also one thing we have on our side quite often is time. Say, for example, the kid goes to see the GP. What is it? Six minutes, seven minutes on average they get. We will have half an hour, 40 minutes to build up a rapport with this patient and actually understand not only what the musculoskeletal condition is, but also actually how's your sleep? How's that been affected? How's your day-to-day activity? What's your diet like? What's your home environment like? I've given you all of these stretches and exercises and things to do. Actually, on further conversation, we live in a one-bedroom flat and I've got four kids. There is no way my kid is going to be able to do these stretches and strengthen exercise you prescribe. It's just not a viable option. Um, And actually, with COVID, we saw a, a little bit of that where we were doing video consultations. So we would get a look into somebody's house And I can think of it where I treated an autistic lad and it was perfect because he was at home in his own safe environment. And we were doing a video gate analysis across Zoom. And it was perfect because he wasn't in a strange environment. He was able to act in very sad, inverted commas normally. There weren't strange sounds, strange smells and things. And so consequently, it was far more accurate. But there was another one similar just another child and this is where i'm highlighting it i could see from their own home environment it was never going to work what i was prescribing them to do at the time i knew it was going to fail before i'd even started yeah you're absolutely right the onset of covid and the onset of zoom calls has given us such an insight into what goes on and we realize that actually there is a whole behavior that goes on in clinic that might have no relation to how life actually is for these families But listen, everyone, time is getting on. We need to draw things to a close. These are just baby steps, right? There is so much to talk about and so much to collaborate on. But Nina, I just wanted to let folks know about the webinar. We're all going to be on this webinar. It's on the 9th of January. You picked the topic. So it's all your fault. Tell us about the topic and, and why you picked that. Well, we set quite a broad title. Growing pains, but it's not about growing pains. It's about no. children, they grow. <laughs> but really, um, how we all can work as a team, we've all got something to bring to the table when we're talking about children and young people and how we can keep them active on the feet and, and how we can bring in all parts of the team to get the best outcomes. So it's a bit of an open discussion, really. And it'd be really good to hear what other people would like us to talk about, which I believe we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So people should know that this webinar is on the Orthopaedic Research UK's website. It's oruk.org. It's on the 9th of January. It is free to join. 
free to join, what's not to like. And if you're listening to this podcast and that has whetted your appetite, we would love you to join and get stuck in on this webinar. There's plenty of time for discussion at the end. These webinars are always interactive. So please, I'm encouraging people who are listening to this podcast to sign up for that webinar. And let's see where this goes. You know, I think we've got fertile ground here for building collaboration between orthopedics and podiatry in the world of pediatrics. So I'm going to sign off by saying thank you very much to my guests, to Nina, to James and to Michalis. I hope this has been useful for those of you at home listening to this podcast. And who knows, maybe there'll be more podcasts in the future. Thanks a lot for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.